is, is this Maurice? Welcome. It's good to have Maurice in the house of the Lord today. Uh, and uh, did I say that right? All right, great. God bless you. And uh, what? Monice. Then I didn't say it right. Uh, I was just given to me, and I probably didn't hear it right. But anyway, you're welcome. Glad you're, glad you're in the house of the Lord today. Amen. God bless you. Um, we're privileged to be a part of the family of God, and I say that not lightly. Uh, I say that uh, very seriously. We're privileged to be a part of the family of God, and along with being a part of the family of God comes a lot of responsibilities, and I'm thankful today for the goodness of the Lord and for all the good things that he does for us, and uh, our lesson setting today it's simply called, and it's from this direct quote from Scripture, a chosen generation. And uh, that chosen generation is not just someone from the past, but that chosen generation is you and I. And uh, it never ceases to amaze me and, I could say, thrill me and excite me when I understand the intricate weavings of the Scripture. Uh, there's so much of the Bible uh, over, I think it's probably two-thirds of Scripture is in the Old Testament uh, and uh, maybe more, but a large portion of the Bible is in the Old Testament, and it's about uh, distant people and a distant uh, circumstances from way gone years. And it would, it would be a very... Uh, Uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be nil and void. It would just be a, a history lesson. So it would have so much less value if we didn't have the understanding that everything, everybody say everything. That means from here all the way to here, everything that happened to them happened for our examples. And so basically the, the Old Testament is our schoolmaster, it's our teacher, it's the one that, one that brought us to Christ. Uh, so the Old Testament is uh, uh, a learning lesson for us. If you want to know how God feels about things, you can read the Old Testament and you will see the things that God likes and don't like. Uh, there are things in there where the Bible talks about the various abominations in the eyes of God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he didn't like it then, he don't like it now. And if we learn that it's something that he, he respects and honors, he still respects and honors the same. So there's tremendous lessons to be learned from the past. And the Bible says it very clearly. It says everything that happened to them happened for our examples on whom the ends of the world are come. So all the lessons from the past and the lessons from the Old Testament and the lessons from those years all have tremendous uh, teachings for you and I today to understand who Jesus Christ is, who he was and who he's going to be and what our relationship is and can be with him. Uh, we can learn so much from it. But the Bible says in the book of 1 Peter, the second chapter and the ninth verse, it says, but ye are a chosen generation. A chosen generation. Uh, I've said it many times, even in the last week, that uh, you know when you want to understand what Scripture means and the importance of a Scripture, you don't isolate and get the Scripture all by itself and try to understand it. There are some things you need to know. You need to know who was speaking, you know who, who they were speaking to, and much about a Scripture and much about the thought that you're picking uh, out of the Word of God can be better understood if you'll go back before that scripture and read maybe chapters, maybe a chapter, at least a few verses before it will lead up to that scripture and then that which is following. And many times it will clarify. And sometimes people pick out one scripture and say, well, I don't understand what this means when if you would just simply read before, during, and after you would get a better, better understanding of the Word of God. 
And uh, no scripture stands alone. And it's, the Bible talks about it. There's no scriptures of, of any private interpretation. So I can tell you what I think it means. And you can say, no, I think it means this. And who's right? I can't pull rank over you and say, well, no, I'm right. And you can't pull rank on me and say, no, I'm right. Really, either of our opinions are just that. They're just opinions. But when we go to the Word of God and we understand the Word of God, the Bible makes it very clear to us that the Word of God is not some hidden secret that we can't understand. You can, by reading and studying the Word of God and, for, and by asking for God to enlighten you, to turn the light on. It's hard to read in the dark, but when you can get the light turned on and begin to read and understand Scripture, you can understand the Word of God and it can come alive to you where you have understanding. Uh, the, the setting in our lesson today, after we just read, but you're a chosen generation, uh, the Bible says, which in times past, the 10th verse, which in times past were not a people, but ye are now a people of God, which has not obtained, had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We were, we at one time, were without God and without a hope. But God provided for us a plan of salvation. And we that one time did not have hope, now have hope. We that one time did not have salvation, now he has provided salvation for us. In the book of Acts, the 13th chapter, in the 44th verse, starting there through 49, the scripture says, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together, to hear the word of God. What a great testimony that the entire city came out to hear the word of God. And when the law, the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken unto you. Now, again, this is, goes back to what I was saying about you need to know who's speaking and who they're speaking to. Uh, he was speaking here to the Jews, that the word of God should have first been spoken to you, the Jews. But seeing ye, the Jews, put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, we turn to the Gentiles. And I won't ask you to do it except in your mind, but all of us could say, I'm a Gentile. We were not, we were not uh, uh, sons in the original sense. We were not, did not have the original promises of God. We have to be adopted into the family of God before the promises become ours. And that's the beauty of adoption. That's the beauty of that we become not by first birth, but by, by what we call being born again. That we can come into the family of God and we can understand that we are now, we have become the sons and daughters of God. Uh, the 47th verse says, for, for so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee, and this is key that I'm going to dwell on a little bit, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. The 48th verse, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published or spread throughout all the region. And this kind of highlights the fact that we that were one time aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, we that one time were not privileged to the promises of God that came to Israel, were now adopted into the family of God and now made nigh. I heard the story one time of two kids that were fussing two brothers. One was an adopted child, one was the birth child of a family. And they were fussing, and as 
kids will do sometimes, they try to find something to get an upper hand on their sibling. And one of the brothers, the birth brother, the birth son, said, well, you're not really my brother. You're not really, this is not really your mom and dad. This is my mom and dad. And you were, you were not born here. You were adopted. So they're not really yours. They're my parents. They're not your parents. And the adopted child kind of thought for a moment and then responded back. He says, well, here's the difference. He said, they, you were born here. They were stuck with you, but they chose me. And it makes a whole lot of difference. We were chosen. We were, not, we were not born into the family of God by our natural birth. But we were brought into the family of God by His choice. He chose us. He selected us. He brought us into the family of God where we can, can and should be blessed. And to understand that, that I am not some un. And understand what I'm saying. I started to say the word unworthy. We're all unworthy and we understand we're not worth by our own merits. But by His grace and by His mercy, we are all worthy. We are all privileged. We are all uh, true sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. So we're not some worthless, distant uh, situation where... You know, well, you know, I'm not really, I, I don't have this talent, I don't have that talent, and, and I don't have this ability or that ability, or I wasn't born into privilege, and, uh, and we can just go on down whatever excuse you might make to feel like that you're not important. I'm here to tell you today that you were chosen. You were adopted into the family of God by His choice. You are valuable. You have privilege. You have the same. That's all right. Uh, you have the exact same privileges as birth brothers and sisters. And we have the same promises, all the promises of the Old Testament that God made to the children of Israel, to the Jewish people. He made it to them in a natural sense, but they become our spiritual promises. As he said to them, I will fight your battles for them. And it was blood and guts and hurt and pain and tens of thousands of deaths and destruction everywhere when God fought for the children of Israel. Well, as he fought for them in the natural sense, we become his sons and daughters and he fights for us against, as the Bible says, against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in dark places. He fights with, alongside of us and for us with all the battles that you're going to face in your life he is your protector. He is your savior. He is the one that will defend and protect you. And every promise made to the children of Israel in a natural sense now is your promise in a spiritual sense that you are blessed in the kingdom of God. Uh, Saul said when he came and began to persecute the children of Israel, let me just read to you. But, when, but on his murder, murderous, this is Saul, the persecutor of the church. On his murderous ride, God had enough of this zealots, which means a very zealous man. He very much believed in and put himself out there that he thought if he would uh, persecute and destroy the Christians, the, the, these Jesus people, that he was doing, he thought, God's work. He was a very zealous or a man full of zeal that he was excited to be a part of the family of God. And when he, he brought all this out, uh, he was on the road. He had already many times before had uh, got authorities to sign documentation where he could arrest any Christian. He could arrest anybody that, that was a Jesus person or a follower of Jesus Christ. And he could have them tried and, and then even executed. And he was on his way to another city with documents that he could go and again do his dirty work. But on his way, a light shone from heaven and he was knocked to the ground. We would call it lightning. Lightning struck him and knocked him to the ground and he was blinded and he realized that his life was ebbing away and that he had lost control of his eyesight and his equilibrium and everything else and he cried out 
And a voice spoke back to him when he cried out, Who art thou, Lord? And the voice came back, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuteth. Why kick against the pricks? And consequence of this exposure to God and God's presence, Saul the persecutor, his life was changed, and he became a zealot or zealous now for the cause of Christ. And Saul, when God asked him, Who art thou? And he said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. When Saul realized he was fighting against the very one who he thought he was fighting for. There are a lot of misguided folks in the world. You'll see them every day. There are some are religious people, some are anti-religious people. But we've learned through life that, you know, sometimes when some person has a real strong opinion and they're fighting for a particular cause, uh, sometimes we need to understand that they actually believe that cause. They believe in what they're doing. They believe just like we do when we're fighting for the cause of Christ and for the cause of righteousness and godliness. Uh, we believe that. They believe uh, some of the things they, they uh, propose and, and put out there. And Paul thought he was doing God's work because he thought these zealots, these people, these, these uh, Jesus freaks, they're hurting the cause of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of our day, and we need to annihilate them. And so that was his purpose. But when he was knocked down and God spoke to him and he spoke back to God, he realized that he was fighting against the very thing he thought he was fighting for. There's lessons to be learned from that. And from that road, his friends, uh, his friends led a blinded, humbled terrorist into Damascus. Nobody in town knew that God was reaching for Saul. But Saul's name and reputation preceded him. And when they heard that Saul, the terrorist, the, the killer, the arrester of God's people, there was a fear came upon much of the city and they're thinking he's here, he's here to do us harm. Uh, but there was, thank God, <coughs> there was somebody that was in touch with God that realized that God had a, a purpose bigger than uh, what they could see outwardly, that God was reaching for Saul. They knew Saul was in town. They knew they were in danger, but God was in control, and he gave a Christian man named Ananias a vision. And he said, I want you to go to Saul and pray for him. And we could get sidetracked here and talk for a while about sometimes those people that around you that seem the most antagonistic about God and the things of God really may be uh, fighting for what they feel, feel is really right and righteous or, or it really, maybe if not righteous in that word, maybe they have purpose and they feel like this is a valuable purpose that I'm fighting for. And sometimes we think, oh, I could never reach them. But sometimes those folks that are are very, very much caught up in their cause and they're very verbal about their anti-religion or their anti-God or anti-Jesus name or whatever it is, those sometimes make the very best children of God when a light shines on their life and their eyes are open and they can see that the thing that they're actually fighting against is what they thought they were fighting for. And so this man named Ananias was given a vision and said, go pray. And when Ananias, the hunted man, saw Saul, the hunter, he called him Brother Saul. Now there's a trip for you. This guy that's killing Christians and coming to town to do more damage, and a man of God that sees, and wow, what a message that is. I've thought of it several times. If we could see as God sees. He, after that vision, could see as God sees, and he didn't see a killer Saul. He saw a brother in Christ. 
He had not been converted at this point, but he through faith saw that this killer, this guy that the whole town right now is trembling and being terrorized by, that he called him Brother Saul. And for the first time in his life, Saul felt the grace because Saul heard the gospel. The gospel that the blood of Jesus was strong enough to forgive his past and the Spirit of God was able to fill his soul. Saul reached, received his sight, and not only that, but he received the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost on that particular day. And what a difference that makes. And then listen to this ironic twist to Saul's story. And then he was baptized in the very name that he had spent his whole young life fighting against. Uh, reminds me of a story we heard this week that one of the preachers said about somebody that uh, was in his church. It was very zealous, and he was a businessman and a very successful bu businessman. And uh, uh, he got involved in the city's community organizations and, and in their uh, political, religious organization like the you know, the uh, community of churches and all that is involved in this. He was well-liked enough that he was finally voted to be the president of this religious organization that was a combination of many denominations of religion in his community. He was voted as the president. But soon after becoming president, uh, some of the zealots, that's zealous people in the community, got to hearing the story that this guy is a Jesus name person. He believes in baptism in Jesus name. And, and they got together and uh, communicated together and they thought, you know, this can't be. We can't have one of these Jesus people uh, being the leader of our, this is in the community and I believe it's in, in Michigan. Uh, and we can't, we can't allow this to be going on. And so they all got together and they called this brother together and they said you know how do you baptize people and of course he said well we baptize people in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins and they gathered around him they said well we're going to pray for you that God will deliver you from this heresy and so just wisely he says oh okay and they all gathered around him and just about ready to start to pray and he says before you pray let me ask you in what name are you going to use to cast this Jesus spirit out of me? What name are you going to use? Because, you know, we, we pray in Jesus' name. We uh, thank God for our food in Jesus' name. We pray for the sick in Jesus' name. We open the service and we thank you in Jesus' name. And then sometimes people get to baptism and all of a sudden, whoa, 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 no. We don't do that. That's them Jesus-only people. And some of them are so bound by tradition, they really, really believe that they're doing right by denying the name of Jesus Christ in baptism. But what name are you going to use to cast that Jesus name, baptism, spirit out of me? Was kind of a cute response but a very uh, pertinent response to that we got to get rid of this Jesus thing. And when it is, it's about Jesus. And it's about Jesus Christ and about his blood that was shed. <coughs> Excuse me. And by the way, it's the name of Jesus Christ in baptism that remits our sins. And that is because it was Jesus Christ that shed his blood. And it was through the name of Jesus Christ that we were commanded to go teach all nations and baptize in them in my name, Jesus said. Thank God for that. But here Saul found himself in a situation where he was actually baptized in the name of Jesus when he had spent his young life dedicated to the annihilation of all these Jesus-named people. And ironic, but <clears throat> that's what the grace of God will do. Ananias baptized him in that very name that's above every name. 
This is the power of the new birth. It's the power of a change that only can come from heaven. It's the power of change that changes the enemies of Christ into followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, John 3 and 5, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is in John 3 and 3 through 5, Verily, uh, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again. That's that, uh, that birth I was talking about a while ago, it, not our first birth. I don't care how uh, important you think you were at your first birth. I don't care if your name's Abbott or Grogan or Stacy or McIntosh. You can say, oh, I can trace my lineage back to, well, whoop-de-doo. I'm glad you can. But your first birth is not what's going to get you into heaven. How much money you have in the bank, how important you are, uh, how much you think that I've inherited all this, this blessings, uh, none of that's going to matter when you stand before God. It's not your first birth, it's that second birth. It's that when you're born into the family, born into the kingdom of God. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, except you're born again. The second time, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, Well, how can I be born again when my mother is old? Do I go back into my mother's womb and have to be... Oh, no, no, it's, it's a different story. Uh, can we enter the second time into my mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's not the first birth, but it's the second birth that is very important that we're born into the kingdom of God. And when we are, are born into the kingdom of God and we're blessed with the privileges of being the children of God, it's very important that we grow and have natural growth. I, I have been blessed with grandkids and they were so much fun. And now I'm blessed with great grandkids and I'm watching new babies grow again. I just recently was back for Zachary, one of my grandson's wedding and there again I got to see little Wyatt, which is uh, Zarissa Parkey's little one-year-old boy. And he's now walking and uh, He's still a little cue ball head, but he's got some fuzz on his head at least now. But, uh, you know, just seeing him at different stages of life. We were there back at Thanksgiving time when he took his first little two or three steps before he got scared and squatted down. But now he's walking all over wherever he wants to go. And that's called growth. We have here, we've had... Uh, great grandkids here that we're close to and that we get to see real often and our youngest one is Bella and she's about nine months old now and and we've watched her and her little her little growth spurts and and her little mannerisms and and how she changes just almost almost daily it seems like she's changing and she's now uh, we were rejoicing and watching her make her first little crawl to get up on her knees and kind of rock around a little bit on her all fours and kind of move a little bit. Well, last night when they put her on the floor, it just, I mean, she just took off. She saw something she wanted and she headed for it. And that's called growth. And spiritually, for us, when we come into the family of God and we're born into God's kingdom, we no longer, we no longer are babies. We're no longer in diapers. There's a point you grow out of that. I don't expect from little Wyan or little Bella what I expect out of my youngest grandson over here. And he kind of made my wife and I chuckle uh, at the meeting this week. And it was a, a prideful chuckle. Uh, they asked from the pulpit that I want all the ministers uh, to come up to the front. And he almost climbed over his dad getting out to get out there to be in that crowd. And wife and I both noted later to chuckle with a little bit of pride of someone that has grown. He's no longer a little child. Now he's, he's in, in uh, theology school and he's learning and growing and praying and spending hours in the altar of prayer. And it's a, it's a big difference than he was when he was that cute little boy when he first made his first few steps. And we expect from this point on 
uh, in the next few years, there's going to be more maturity, more growth, because that's the natural process of life. And we watch these babies grow, and, and when you come in the kingdom of God here at Abundant Life Center, we don't expect from folks that come into the kingdom of God here and become a part of Abundant Life Center, uh, we don't expect them to have the same maturity level that someone like the McIntoshes have or uh, others that have been around not for years, but it's measured now in decades. And they have more maturity. And the Bible says the older women teach the younger women. And when you've been around for a while, there should be some uh, maturity. There should be some growth. Uh, for us men, uh, we're no longer a little kid that's crawling or taking his first few steps. But now we have become adults. And as we read in the opening uh, scriptures, uh, God said about that we are a chosen generation, but then he goes on to say, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles. I'm no longer seeking my own self and my own person and my own what I can do and can't do and, and the world surrounded me. But now we realize that in the room that I'm in, whether it's at work or at play or at home or at the house of God, I'm no longer a babe in Christ. So now I'm not looking for somebody to shed light on me and, and bless me, but I realize that I'm the one that's supposed to be the light. Yes, sir. I'm not there for my personal benefit. I'm there for somebody else. Somebody said it. Well, it's my life I'm living. I can live the way I want to live. But just remember, someone's watching you. Someone's watching you. Someone is expecting you to be a light. Someone's expecting you to be the big brother or the husband leader or the wife leader or the mother or the father or the fellow workman. Someone, and, and it's been said and noted many times that someone, even children have grown up and, and when their parents change and compromise on principles, they thought, well, you know, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to do this, but then when my parents finally allowed it, I was very disappointed. Because they're looking at you for direction. They're looking at you for guidance. They're looking at you to be the light that God called you to be. And sometimes we get the attitude, well, it's my life and it's not hurting anybody. Don't ever think that what you do or don't do doesn't affect those around you. It affects them. They may, they may say, here, here's a beer. Why don't you have a beer with me? You think, oh, well, it really don't matter. And the very person that's nudging you, wanting you to have a beer with them, then becomes very, very disappointed when you give in. You think, oh, well, I guess I just, you know, with the boys, I can just have me a beer. And, and they may have been the one that's pushing and encouraging you, but when your light dimmed and went out, they were disappointed, even though they may have been pushing for you to be a part. You can go on and on. Someone can say, well, I want you to do this, or I want you to do this. And, and uh, I, I read one story, actually it was Dolly Parton, which some of you older generation probably will remember. But she was raised in a very religious home. And uh, she was raised in a home that they didn't go to the movie, movie shows and all that stuff. And, and she said when she got older, she always wanted to go, wanted to go, wanted to go, wanted to go. And this is in a book that she wrote. And it finally got to the point that finally there was a movie production came to town in her own little town. They did this movie production. And, and then when it finally hit the... The big screen, she wanted to go so bad, her parents, she said, my parents finally allowed me to go. And she said, you know, there's a part of me wanted to go so bad, but there's a part of me was really, really disappointed because that line that had always been there through all of my years now was broken. And that's just a little simple illustration uh, that makes us to understand that sometimes we are the light and that God has called us to be. And sometimes when we think we're becoming friends with somebody or, or we're kind of giving in to our kids, well, you know, they're 13 now or they're 18 now. Uh, I don't care how old your kids are. You are a standard for them. 
And when you compromise your personal beliefs and when you compromise the stand that you have taken from the past, they may be elbowing and pushing and thrusting and trying to get there, but when you let your light go out, they're going to be disappointed. And some, sometimes, and this, this fellow right here, sometimes I, I wrestle with things. I think, well, God help me because I, I've, I've had the thought over and over again. I understand that who I am and what I am affects more than just me. It affects my children. It affects my wife. It affects Abundant Life Center. It affects the United Pentecostal Church that I'm a part of. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And when I am not what I need to be, I don't just hurt myself. I hurt my family. I hurt my children. And, you know, I ministered this last week at Sister Alvedris, 97 years old, that was buried this last Thursday and uh, lived her life. And I, I remember all the way back in the early 70s when I came to Tulare. It was, it was, I think, within the year, within a year of me coming to Tulare that Sister Alvedris started coming with a couple of her kids at that time. And she started coming to uh, the First Pentecostal Church. That's what we called it in those days. And, and was a Sunday school teacher for many, many years. And, and a blessing. Here she is now, 97 years later. And every time I get to the place where someone's being laid to rest, I think about what was their legacy? What, was, what, did, they, what did they leave behind them? And, uh, and see the faithfulness through all those years to the family of God. And it makes me think about there will be a day. It's appointed unto man once to die. And when it comes to that day that maybe in this very facility that there's a big box right up here. And in it is a guy that we called Pastor Abbott. Or that my family called Papa. Or Grandpa. Or Husband. Or Uncle. And then what will we say? Did, did somewhere along the way, did, did the light that was supposed to be shining through him, did it, did it grow dim? Did it flicker and go out? Did he lose the, the, the power and the brightness that shined during those 70s and 80s and 90s and, and into the new, new uh, millennial? Uh, did the light go out? Did somewhere, did I lose my testimony? And every time I come to one of those times in a service where we're celebrating the life or we're remembering the life of someone who is now gone, their light has gone out. And how bright did it shine in the closing days of their life. The Bible speaks of, but that is the power of the new birth that we become a light. Jesus answered and said, you must be born again. And how bright did your... As newborn babes were to grow. And our growth is important. Our maturity is very important. Uh, we, we can grow as newborn babes. The Bible said they desired the sincere milk of the word. But there's a point that we quit being bottle fed. There's a point that we come and... And uh, through the years, you know, I've heard people that would make the statement, oh, I'm just going to change churches, not necessarily even about this one, but maybe wanting to come here. But I'm just going to leave the church, and I'm going to go somewhere else because I'm not getting fed. Anybody ever heard that? I'm just not getting fed. Well, let, let, me, let me just kind of shake you a little bit and give you a, a real quick lesson. Who has to feed Adults. Oh, come here. Open your mouth. Oh, you don't like that one. Oh, well, let's try this one. Find something you like. For heaven's sake, you've been around for a church for a while. If, if you can't go to the house of God and get fed, it's nobody's fault but your own. By all means, belly up to the table. Get your knife and fork and spoon and start shoveling some food in. Don't wait for somebody to have to feed you. 
You're not a baby anymore. Now you're supposed to eat well and be the light. Now you're supposed to be feeding babies, not being fed. Get your feelings off your shoulders. Get your attitude aligned with the kingdom of God and realize this isn't about me. I'm the light. It's about shedding light on somebody else, being a blessing to somebody else. It's not about coming in and thinking, well, you know, I, I'm here now. You need to minister to me because I'm feeling kind of weak and frail. And that's not to make light of the fact that all of us at times hit bumps in the road and have struggles and we need a brother or a sister to lean on. You, you know I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone just has an attitude that thinks, well, you know, well, I'm, and, you know, there are some people have been around the church for decades and they still live on the edge. They're in the world and not in the world and they're over here and they're back to here and and sometimes they drift away for a while and then they come back and they just refuse to ever grow up and realize I'm a part of the kingdom of God and I pray that that I never get to the place that I experienced in my young ministry many years ago there was an elder in our church that was retiring and he made a statement, well, I'm retiring now and I just don't want any positions or any jobs because I don't want to be obligated. Because I won't just be able to go and do this and that. I don't want to be obligated to any kind of position. And I remember thinking at that time that I thought, you know what? And I, in fact, he used the word, I don't want to be tied down to anything that involves the church because I want to be free, I'm retired now, and so on. This man's gone on to be with the Lord a long time ago. But I thought at the time when he said that, I thought, well, you know what? Jesus Christ wasn't just tied down, he was nailed down. He gave his entire life. He didn't shy away from the responsibility to realize that, that he didn't come to this world to be ministered to. He came to this world to minister others and sometimes in maturity we get past the place of feeling like well you know I'm here somebody needs to feed me somebody needs to protect me someone needs to pat me on the back somebody needs to make me feel important if they don't well I'll get offended and I'll just go somewhere else and some people are are like that they just bounce from here to there to here to there and and they go for a while and if something doesn't go to suit them and they boom they're off and they're gone somewhere else and those kind of people never have roots. They never really become the strong supporter and the strong strength that they ought to be in the kingdom of God. But they, because they don't have roots, they don't have depth, they never become valuable like they should be to the kingdom of God. But here we are today. We have been chosen. What have we been chosen for? We came in and we're born in the kingdom of God and we're newborn babes in, in Christ and, and we, we, have, we get milk and we drink and, and we grow and we get strength and we develop muscle and sinew and we get stronger and we get away from the bottle and uh, I don't want to be too graphic but since we're using the illustration of children we don't have our diapers changed anymore. Now we know how to take care of our own business and our own person and now we don't have to be fed anymore but now the food is put on the table. And it may not always be what you want to eat. And sometimes the things that you want to eat, it reminds me of a little story. And uh, most of you know that I have a dog kennel and I raise a lot of dogs. And I was having a conversation one time, uh, I, I think it was with a vet or someone, and, and we're talking about science diet. And science diet, I don't know what it costs now, but back when this, I had this little experience, science diet was like a dollar a pound. And you can buy Attaboy for, you know, 35 cents a pound. And I, I, I told this person I was talking to, I said, well, I've had science diet and I've had some of this cheaper dog food and I put them in bowls side by side and my dogs would go and they'd eat the cheaper dog food. He says, well, he said, if you had a child and you put down there some oatmeal or something of nutritional value and you put down a bowl of ice cream, which one you think the kid's going to gravitate to? And sometimes that's the way we are. 
We will gravitate to somebody patting us on the back, somebody that don't really tell us the truth, or somebody that, that puts a bowl of oatmeal uh, and got a little cinnamon in it and set it here, and then all oh, here's a, a bowl of ice cream. And uh, what are we going to pick? And sometimes God puts before us on the table what he calls a balanced diet. And so it always worries me when some folks say about the preachers that are coming, well, I really like this evangelist, but I really don't like that one. And uh, I really, boy, I'll be on the edge of my chair when, when this one comes because he's very entertaining and he's very gifted and I love to hear him preach. And then someone else is coming, well, I'm not too happy about that. And it always bothers me because I realize God sets a table before us and it's not always you know, pie a la mode. Sometimes it's biscuits and gravy. Sometimes it's, it's uh, tacos. Sometimes it's, it's T-bone steak. And sometimes it, it's something else. But there's a variety. And the, and the Bible makes it very clear that we need the five-fold ministry of the church. Sometimes we need the firebrand preaching that comes and everybody shouts and makes their laps and, Woo! That was good tonight. Sometimes else, some, some other time we need someone to come and kind of just opens the word of God and gets down to where we're living and nobody's getting patted on the back tonight but we get down to where you're living, you're kind of squirming in your seat and it's a little bit getting kind of hot in here tonight and, and finally there's an altar call and you're either going to go out mad or you're going to come to the altar and repent. Sometimes we need some hellfire and brimstone. Sometimes we need some hallelujah, praise God, faith. We can climb the highest mountain in the world and we'll stand on the top and be victorious. But if all we hear is one particular part of that, the Bible says the, the letter killeth, but the spirit maketh alive. Sometimes if all we come and, and there are some folks that are noted for, you know, they're just tell it like it is and we're going to beat you over the head every time you come to church. And some people, I guess, need to be beat up all the time so they can live for God. But I don't want to be beat up every time I come to church. But I don't want to be patty caked every time I come to church and get patted on the back and feel like, well, bless God, I know you're going through it, so that's okay. It don't really matter how you live. You're still my brother and my sister. Well, you know, there's, there's room for all kinds. But we need a balanced diet, the five-fold ministry. Some evangelists come and they're, they're I mean, they're stern. Uh, we've got some of them that come, you know, I've had a few of them that's preaching, and, and I happen to know what they may not even know. But they get off in the subject area, and boy, I'm thinking, I'm not looking over that side because, oh, my goodness. I know where he's going with that. And uh, sometimes that's necessary. And then there's another time I'm saying, oh, thank God, he's ministering to them right now. He's picking up their spirits. He's letting them know how valuable they are in the kingdom of God. And all of that is very valuable in the kingdom of God. And we need it all. And sometimes pastor has a, a young man come up here. And they, it may be their first time or their first few times. And he brings them up here and, and uh, they give their little five-minute exhortation. And you know what? If you come hungry to the house of God, they'll say something because they're going to quote some scripture. They're going to say a few things that can feed you and bless your soul if you come hungry. If you come full of, what's this kid doing up there? You know, I was this, that, and the other for He was even thought of. Then you'll go home dry and thinking, well, I didn't get fed tonight. No, nobody brought you a spoon and begged you to open your mouth and shovel you in a little taste. You didn't like that one and switch off to something else. But sometimes put on the table, and I don't know how you were raised, but I know how we were raised. My mom fixed the food, it was put on the table, and you ate it all. Peas included. And I didn't like peas when I was a kid. I can eat them now and they can be mixed with something that don't bother me. But, but I remember when we had peas and we, you get our dab of peas and our potatoes and, and the various things that we got and you cleaned your plate up. I still have a problem today of leaving anything on my plate. I feel like I need to eat it all and sometimes I've realized that I don't want to waste that. And so I waste it. If you know what I mean. Uh, 
and I don't want to leave anything. And, I, and my problem is, is, is I think, okay, I'm finished now, I'm done. And about that time, my wife hands me her plate. She's eating all she wants, and now I'm expected to clean her plate too. So uh, I'm at the stage in life, I'm having to start being careful with some of those things. But how did I get off on that anyway? Uh, you're a chosen generation. Sometimes we put food out there that God puts a food on the table and you come to the house of God. I have, I have seen times that on a Wednesday night Bible study that God so ministered to somebody. And on that particular service, there was a need that they had that was met. And who would have thought it? It wasn't, it wasn't a run the aisle, fiery uh, Sunday night service. It wasn't a flaming evangelist from out of town that ministers all over the world and he came and met your need. But God, through his word and through teaching or through a testimony or through a song, God met that need. I've been in services and looked across the crowd and saw someone was missing and thought, oh, I wish this was here tonight. And then the word of God would go forth and I thought, oh, God, if that person was here tonight. It would have changed their life. But they weren't in the house of God. And so it, it was as if that had never happened. And I've seen people that lost out with God that I felt like if they'd have been at that service Sunday night, if they'd have been at that service last week or whenever it was, that they would have been rescued on the precipice of their disaster. But because they weren't there, the disaster came and they were lost without hope. You're a chosen generation. You're chosen for a purpose. You're chosen for a purpose that God expects and wants you to be a light. You're no longer just an absorbent where you're absorbing things and getting, well, I hope I have enough to make it now to the next service. But there's a point that you're overflowing. And anybody near you, you, you've been around people just, just to be in their presence or to be in service when they began to worship before long. You came with a headache, a bellyache, a backache and, and all kinds of problems and, and feeling despondent and de de down in spirit. But you come and someone begins to glorify and magnify God. And they're so overflowing that soon it flows over onto you and your spirits begin to rise. And before long, you begin to feel the little chill bumps of the Holy Ghost that I'm feeling right now. You feel those chill bumps of the Holy Ghost and you begin to feel better. And somebody, when you couldn't touch heaven, somebody touched heaven for you and they overflowed. Oh God, help us not to come just hoping somebody will bless us, but let me be the one that overflows. Let me be the one that lends strength to my brother or to my sister. Let me be the one that goes into my home and lights up my home with the presence of God that my children, my grandchildren, people around me can see something in me that will, that will not just uh, look at, but that they, they will absorb and that it will splash over onto them and cause them to receive from God because I wasn't just a blackness that absorbed light, but I was the giver of light. And he so chose us to be the light of the world. We've been transformed to be a testimony to others. What kind of testimony are you? Do you lose your testimony? Have you been chosen? Are you serving God and people that look to you as a child of God and a, as a person of God? Have you allowed your light to diminish? Sometimes we become what we hang around. And if you hang around the wrong people, if you hang around the wrong environment, you soon begin to reflect that environment. And rather than you going into that environment and being an illumination, you go into that environment and you lose your illumination and you become one of the crowd. Where are we? Where are you? What kind of light are you to the world? that you live in. We have been transformed not just to save us, but the very purpose of our salvation is that we become a light to those around us. We would save somebody else. They would share the gifts that God has given us. 
We have been chosen by God, not just for us, but for others. We have been chosen by God to show forth His praises and to share our testimony with the rest of the world. We have been chosen to come into the presence of God and to be full to capacity and overflowing and go out into our world and bless and illuminate the lives of those around us. Our testimony is the same as Saul's. God called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. We share our testimony with someone. Let them know what God has done for us and from where he has brought you. God has blessed us to richly, so richly, so we can bless others. Last Sunday morning, tremendous message we received from the cowboy from Texas. It was a great word from God. A man that said, made it to know, he told us a story, if any of you weren't here, about going to Germany and wanting to fit in and be a part of the German culture and he wanted to be a testimony to them. And so he got him one of the little duffy hats and a trench coat and thought, boy, I really look good and I'll fit right in. And, and he said he went to the subway and people were going, then walk away around him. And he thought, well, wow. What, what am I doing wrong? You know, I thought I was going to fit in. He finally asked someone, they said, you're dressed like this Gestapo. <laughs> Doesn't go over very good in Germany. Uh, and uh, so he went home, and, and he told us a story about he was from Texas, but he thought, well, I'm not going to need this cowboy hat. And he had given it away, but somehow that cowboy hat preceded him and got to Germany. And the person just left it there, and there, there's his cowboy hat when he got to Germany. And after he had that Gestapo experience, he went home and he got on his cowboy hat, put it on his head, and went down the streets. And, and everybody see him and say, hey, where are you from? I'm from Texas. What are you doing here? Well, I came here because I wanted to tell you about my experience with Jesus Christ. And he said that cowboy hat opened door after door after door where he could be a light in a very dark world among the atheists of Germany, that he could tell them about the truth of his God and salvation. And it all came because he was looking for an opportunity to take the light that God chose us to be and take it out in a dark world. When someone said, who are you? Where are you from? Why are you here? It was opportunities for him to open up and to talk to someone about his relationship with God. Paul's modus rondi, which means Paul's way of operation, was to preach to the Jews in the synagogue and then to preach to the Gentiles. How sad it was that the very people that Paul came to minister to, his own flesh and blood, because they were not receiving the message of Jesus Christ. That he said, then God has commanded me to open the door to the Gentiles, begin to preach to them. And while people that had the pedigree were folding their arms and being skeptical about Paul's preaching, there were some Gentiles, some people that didn't have the pedigree that they thought was necessary in that day. But they were hungry for God. They were open and they began to be receptive and receive, and they were glad to receive the Word of God. And they were blessed. And here you and I are today being the recipient of those blessings. We must remember what it was like when we were first born again. When we first came to God. When we were at our greatest point. And I, I close with this thought. If you have to look back in your life to some spiritual peak. For one time I was here then you're not being what God wants you to be. If you have to look back to a time when you were more spiritual, when you were more dedicated, when you were more consecrated, then you have stopped growing and you've started declining. It's a warning to all of us to look that once in a while we need to realize, you know, am I on fire for God? Am I all that God wants me to be? Am I being the light to the world around me that God has called me to be a part of? And I'm 
not just talking to you today, I'm talking to all of us, including myself, that no matter where we're at in life and what age we are in life, let us not be one that has to look back to a time when I was on fire for God, to look back to a time when I was more spiritual. All of us ought to realize that as I'm maturing in God, I'm no longer on the bottle. I'm no longer having my diapers changed. I'm no longer where mom and daddy have to worry about where I'm at and what I'm doing. But now I have become a responsible adult, a responsible child of God. That now I am not having to be worried about. I'm not one the pastor has to say, well, where were you? And why aren't you on fire? And why aren't... But now I can alongside and partner with the pastor and strengthen the weak and picking up those that are discouraged and, and teaching Bible studies to new converts and, and finding new ones and bringing them into the house of God. What is that? Now I've become the adult. I've become spiritual. I've become a partner in service to God. And I realize that God has called me to be a light in my world, in my town, in my community, in my Praise God. Let's stand to our feet.